0: Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I am joined by Stuart Bertrand, Martin Simpson, and Cameron Prescott Young to discuss great career transitions from UK military into cyber. Before we delve into the topic in a bit more detail, uh, just run around the room with some introductions. Um, Stuart, you want to kick us off with a brief introduction.
1: Yeah, thanks very much, Robert. My name's Stuart Bertram. Um, I'm the current head of uh, Cyber Threat Intelligence at a company called Elementor. Um I was in the army, British Army from 2004 to 2009, so have been out quite a while. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've been working in cybersecurity since then. Um, I think probably the big point to take away from that was I thought I was going to do it for six months before I needed to get a real job um, and look where I'm at. So uh, yeah, I think it would be interesting to talk about that journey. Interesting stuff. And uh, Martin, no.
2: Yeah yep hi everyone my name is martin simpson so i'm a, a principal with a boutique consultancy called 324 although uh, hot off the press as of today we've uh, just been taken over or part of an acquisition by n4 which makes us a much bigger firm which is quite exciting uh background in big four um i was sponsored through school and university by the royal air force but never actually went on to serve so i guess i would describe myself as a uh, as a military and uniformed service um ally and um, because so over time that's manifested itself in in and, and, um, I was uh, I was sort of part of the initial recruitment of a bunch of deselected aircrew uh, from across the three services back in 2012, who uh, went on to join um, join Deloitte, uh, and that went on to become kind of the uh, the acclaimed Deloitte military transition program. Uh, so that's me. Thank you, Martin,
0: and finally, Cameron.
3: Hello, yeah, Cameron Prescott Young. Uh, I uh, my background is of an ex junior from the intelligence corps, um, but I serving in cyber reserve officer now. Uh, left in 2014 uh, and went to work for BA Systems, and have pretty much been doing cyber security since uh, for BA uh, Aviva, and, and most currently as the he- most recently, sorry, as the head of security management assurance at Legal in General. Although I ha- ha- I am currently on a comment in a non security role that's only just started. So, uh, but about ten years worth of cyber experience.
0: Thank you, Cameron. Okay, so uh, now we're all introduced, uh, we'll move on to the topic. Uh, so, you've all got questions or a statement around the career transition of UK military into cyber. Uh, as usual, I'll work around the room, asking to each pose your question and give the reasons behind it and give each of you an opportunity to give your take on the situation. Um, so, um, Cameron, we will make a start with you. Um, do you want to read for your question? Yeah, of course. So, so, I suppose, in thinking about this, I suppose,
3: what advice would I or anyone else give a service lever who is looking to embark upon a career in cybersecurity broad, I know, but but I think it's uh fundamentally what people will probably be listening for. Um so that's the question. Thank you. Uh, Stuart, I'll we'll come to you first. Yeah, I think I think um the, the biggest advice is,
1: you know, the the looking looking at the question, right, is cybersecurity is this super, super broad area. And there's many different aspects sort of inside there as well that are gonna be easier to get into than others. So, you know, for example, to become like a security operations center analyst, I would argue is easier to get into than to become a cyber threat intelligence analyst Um, initially within that kind of first kind of job. I think the big part of that is, you know, once you're in, you're in. So that, you know, people coming from a force background often think that they'll just be doing that for like the rest of their life. However, six months in, um, you know, the private sector, especially the cyber private sector, which is particularly fast-moving, is like two and a half years inside the, um, you know, I- inside the MOD. So, just getting that first kind of job, I think, is really, really important. But the big part is every single role in cybersecurity is applicable to every single other role in cybersecurity. So, I think the big part is, is is just getting stuck into that first kind of role. Mm.
3: Okay, that's just And Martin? I I was going to say, I think that's a really interesting point, Stuart, around cyber being this all-encompassing term. And I think that's something. Cyber is like a buzzword that's just thrown around. It means different things to different people. And I think it's so important to really unpick it and really understand the different, what it actually means. Because a lot of service people that I've seen just say cyber, and they just mean cyber. And the military's definition of cyber is all things IT. It's not just cybersecurity, mm-hmm. whereas lots of civilian firms use the term cyber to describe cybersecurity. But but I think just that understand piece is so critical, especially when it comes to trying to frame your experiences from the military into a, into
2: a sort of civilian role. I think it's really important that you don't my advice would be you don't don't typecast yourself into a particular role, right? So it doesn't matter what trade group you come from, what cap badge you used to wear, in the, or you wear currently wearing the service. You know, we we don't necessarily want everyone to be, you know, former intelligence corps or Royal Signals or whatever, right? It's the the military teaches you, or or, or you know, you effectively a, a, a walking Swiss Army knife, right? You're very adaptable, uh, very able to get on with things and 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 achieve achieve outcomes. So. I I think, and I agree with, with both of you completely, cyber is such a broad church, you know, and 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 I think you need to be kind of to take a step back and think about what do you really mean by cyber? So if you want to get into the real techie side of cyber, then you probably need to have some level of technology capability, um, deep technical capability behind that, right? Um, whereas actually what most military folks are very good at is understanding threats, understanding risks. Now, whether that's a cyber threat and risk or, you know, a physical Threat or risk that you would you would face in in an operational environment, you know that that mindset is still very valuable and very important. And I think you know, not preempt some of the further debate that we're going to have. I think that's really where service levers can come into their own.
3: The ability to be able to distill complicated information down to the core messages and then play those back, I think, is a skill that I've seen uh, service people, service levers, show in spades. And uh, I think it's one of these skills that. When you're in the military sphere, you just take for granted because that's the entire culture is based around that clear, concise communication style. And it actually is lacking in some instances. in the the sort of private sector. So so even just those almost soft skills, those transferable skills, like being able to communicate clearly, understand, take in complicated information and then sort of push it out into the key, distill it down. Sound like really silly things, but actually add so much value to the individual's ability to be able to facilitate and translate. And and that's where I've seen lots of service levers, to your point, mine, across all sort of uh, branches and trades, um, being able to add real value. To. Just um, yeah. yeah, just just to kind of add on as well.
1: I mean, that's definitely the beginning of the journey. But I think the the kind of um, you know destination that a lot of service leaders leaders want want to see um, is you know where am I going to get to in kind of a few years and stuff like that. And I think a big part of that is specialisation, right? So it, there's nothing stopping you being the best pen tester in the world in five years. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing stopping you being the best cyber threat intelligence analyst, giving a keynote speech at DEFCON in Vegas in three years. Nothing, and and I think that's that's the big thing, and understanding that kind of skills pyramid. So you know, there's currently like 7,000 open vacancies in um, in the UK in the cyber sector, but they're at the bottom of the pyramid, right? Mm-hmm. So they're those kind of entry-level kind of roles and stuff like that, but you know the competition gets more the more you go up that kind of pyramid but that's that's kind of where you want to be right so yeah. if you if you're leaving the service you've already had be it a very short career which is five years or a longer career but you, you want to get kind of going and stuff like that so i think you can be ambitious um with what you want to do because there's plenty of training out there there's plenty of qualifications out there and certainly plenty of roles out there mm. where you can be in a position where you are you know five years from now you're not beholden to any one kind of organisation. You can move at the speed of the market and the threat and be doing, you know, making make the world kind of work for
2: you, really. Mm. Martin? I, I, would, I would just add to that as well that I think you know, something from the conversations I've had with a, a lot of friends or, or people that have been introduced to me who are leaving the services it is, is the first move you make out of the military is probably not going to be the last right so you're going to kiss quite a lot of frogs on this journey and and actually what's great about cyber in the sense of it being a broad church is that there's there's almost a military feel to it in the sense of you could do a couple of years here a couple of years there like a regular sort of posting and you can build that portfolio of experiences as you climb that pyramid so i think it's really important that service leavers take away that you know leaving leaving the service coming into a civil job that doesn't mean that's you tied to that desk for the rest of your career right and and you'll probably you'll probably get it wrong the first job won't be what you expected it to be anyway right so yeah so i think being aware of that and open-minded and it's similar advice to what i used to give to grads when i was in a, in a big four environment is you know, it's a great place to learn what you don't like as much as what it what you do like
0: mm-hmm. I think as well. There's also, I suppose, the people I speak to on this sort of topic is um, having some sort of flexibility and not not expecting to go in at a higher level. If you, if you go in and almost testing a different type of environment, a different work environment, obviously a different way of working in most cases, um, it, it's uh, it's important to have a flexibility to especially. Be willing to sort of start at a lower level to, to progress up quickly because uh, you know people do progress quickly in cybersecurity and as I say it moves very fast. It's just it's uh, we we tend to find there's to a, a lot of people who expect to jump into a, a 70k salary potentially because one of their friends did um, and that's not always the best option straight away. Sometimes it's better to start at a lower level to to find your feet. In my opinion, Kevin, I think I think to to your point to mind point, I think it's
3: it's, ne- it's not necessarily the level, but certainly the the breadth of the experience the role provides you. Um, and I think for me, there is a real difference between working in a, B, in a BAU security team and sort of consultancy. Now, when I got out, I went into consultancy for three years. And I felt that that was then able to propel me forwards in my cyber journey more than if I went out and joined a A BAU security team as an analyst or even a manager in a a BAU security team, because I think for me, um, I touched on some cyber stuff when I was uh, serving, um, but it wasn't my bread and butter. Um, So I think for me, that grounding in consultancy where you're being exposed to lots of different projects covering all sorts of types of uh, problems for clients, different customers, the ways of doing business. And I think for me, almost piecing the various different aspects of security together, um, Mm -hmm. because Understanding how the different processes work and interact is really important. And I think for me personally, consultancy was able to do that. The other thing that I think consultancy has that you wouldn't necessarily be be in the same in the BAU context is promotion. So when you're in a consultancy, it's in the company's interest to promote you so you can be sold at a higher price to clients. So there is a very different promotion profile to working in a BAU security team. And the BAU security team, it does happen. But generally, only when people leave, or if there's a reorg of the security team, for example, uh, or n- new roles get created. So I think for me, there is a there is a difference, and I and I think personally, for me, that three years in consultancy really really has paid dividends for me personally. And the other thing, actually, to your point, Stuart, around um specialization, uh, there are obviously different career paths now within within cyber, much more than there was say 10, 15 years ago. And it's great to see because it's such a rich ecosystem of roles and jobs out there. Um, The only thing I would say is that there is, I think, a double edge when it comes to specialization um, in that There are more generalist security roles and more specialist security roles. And whilst the specialist security roles, you can get promotion quite fast up to a level. There sometimes is a ceiling. So, for example, threat intelligence is one that a lot of security people, service leavers go into. It's a great role. The problem is, is that is it it general? enough for you to make the jump from a head or a director of threat intelligence, there aren't many companies with directors of threat intelligence, to a CISO. It's probably a bit too much of a jump. So so for me, it's about making sure that we have as rounded and as general profile as possible. If you want to specialise, brilliant, but just realise that there is a double-edged sword, especially when you start moving up the, the seniority.
1: Okay.
3: Sure. Yeah, I, I mean,
1: I think I've I said, um, just kind of turning to the question, Like, I've, I've had a lot of kind of veterans work kind of with me and for me. And a lot of the advice I give them in the first kind of six months is like don't get fired and do your job there you go that, that's what you're trying to do right and and that's that's pretty legit because like in my first yeah. six months out of the military i was nearly taken to court for non-payment council tax because suddenly somebody sent me a bill for a thousand pounds and i was like i'm not paying that what to take my bins away that's rubbish and just binned it and i can't believe i did that now but that was part of that kind of readjustment process that's kind of quite a busy sort of time and stuff like that and i think there is that kind of adjustment sort of process um, I think also as well, like you know, if you're if you're nailing down your job spec, you're doing pretty well. Like you know, that's that that's fine. Like to, to sort of do that in that kind of period and that period of time, that first kind of six months is important as well, because realistically, that probably means you you're, you're probably a quarter of the way through your tenure, or your first job, easy by that
2: point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a piece of advice I was given in my first job was, you know, it takes you six months to learn the game, it takes you another six months to be good at the game, and and just to build. on your point, Cam. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a pretty much a career consultant. So I did do a number of years in industry, um, straight out of university, which was awesome at GE. Um, but you know, again, I think if you're coming out of out of the services. Being a consultant for a short period of time is a great way to identify what you don't want to be, as much as it is to understand what you do want to be. And when I've sat down with with veterans or or, or service leavers as as they're transitioning, you know, when you talk about what well, industry segment. What would you like to be involved in? You know, do you want to go into financial services? Well, that's kind of they pay quite well in financial services, but it's not the most interesting work. So, you know, you do you want to go into consumer products? That sort of thing. It's just, I think I think consulting is a good way to to have a softish landing and see. What the world is about. Um, that being said, you know I also think that if you, you know, if you have clarity on what it is that you enjoy, and what gets you up in the morning, then look for roles that. That will that will enable that and and use your network. I think I'm I'm broaching into another question that's coming up, but you know, but I do think you know leveraging your network and making sure that you're going to be aligned to like-minded people. I certainly wouldn't advise throwing it all up in the air and doing something completely different that you've never done before, because to your point, Stuart, you know, if you're transitioning from service where you've lived in quarters or whatever, there's a lot of you know kind Of pressures going on in terms of just becoming a civvy, and if you're worrying about work in the background, you're setting yourself up for failure. So, I try and keep something fairly stable. stuff. <clears throat> so, uh, any further points on that question?
3: I think, I think, I think for me, there's the with the consultancy
2: piece as well.
3: Um, for people that are looking for roles, they tend to be quite good at recognizing the military skill set. Mm. Um, it's a well trodden path from the military into consultancies, like all I think most of the big four will have you know, veteran recruitment processes and policies. They'll do insight days. And I think some of the smaller consultancies are following suit
2: as well. So there is a well trodden route. I think I think just so from my own experience, I I would just say that what's got much better since since you know the end of an end of kind of the high intensity operations in Afghanistan, for example, is is the willingness of consultancies to um, to talk to non-commissioned service leavers? I think historically, you know, there was a bias towards um, people holding commissions. I think that's gone away now, rightly so, absolutely rightly so. But I think there was, you know, there has historically been that. But I, and I think so. I would encourage anyone and everyone, irrespective of of, of rank and service, to consider, you know. The, the 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 higher end you know, whether it be the big four or the tier one consultancies that, that sit on top of those and um, because i agree with you completely they want clients want that want the work done and firms want to put the people in the places to make that you know, to make to achieve that, that strategic effect and service leavers are really good at getting that stuff done Right, okay, Christoph. okay we'll stay with you martin for your, your question if you don't mind Sure. No, so I think we've kind of covered it in some ways, but my question was how best to translate your military experience into a civilian career and cybersecurity specifically. Christoph, sure, to you.
1: Yeah, I think I think this is where you do come from becomes kind of quite important, and there is there is a natural kind of um, asymmetry in in the the kind of service levers about entry into that. So there are guys in the military that do cyber, right, and they're very very highly sought after in the private sector. Uh, and they know it. And um, and then there's kind of like your sort of tier two chats who are like your intelligence functions. Uh, and I benefited from this. So I was intelligence core. And basically, I, I got my job because I was I was kind of like the least worst fit. So I was like, yeah, I can do all of that. I've never heard of any of this cyber stuff. And they're like, yeah, right. Well, you, you, you're you better than the next guy. And that, that was the reality of that kind of first kind of recruitment. So you can translate that, that, you know, if you're... Um, you know, if you're you're a paratrooper who specialized in reconnaissance, getting into, you know, something really technical is is gonna be more of a challenge. However, that doesn't mean it's an impossible challenge at all. What it means is you just need to know that kind of where the land. So for example, I do know a paratrooper who who was a three-power guy, did 20 years, and is now a cyber actuary. You know, he, he wanted to specialize in insurance and that's what he did, and he got that job. I think if you're looking at kind of cat badges across the board, the, the cat badge does really well are raw Marines. So the amount of raw Marines that are working in cyber who never touched anything to do with intelligence, security or cyber while they were raw Marine is huge. Um, you know, literally guys that just ran kind of machine gun companies and stuff like that. And the reason why is because they work still as a cohesive team, even after they leave. So they're leveraging the kind of um, the cat badge, they're networking, they go along to all the networking drinks, they do all that. And it's having a massive effect on um, that kind of raw marine presence inside of cyber. My final point is that's not a signal to pull the ladder up behind you. Yeah, so, you know, it's not a case of like, well, we just want people from that kind of cat badge and that kind of um, unit to, to be in our little club. What what it means is you're you're you kind of you're using those kind of networks that are actually really, really important to move into that kind of first role, which is what we were kind of talking
3: about. Thanks, Joe. Cameron, come to you. Yeah, I mean I suppose I've got a couple of points here. I suppose um, the, the key thing is obviously the difficulty in articulating and, or translating your military experience into into civilian speak. Now, we, we see this all the time in things like CVs. And, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have to have them in the military or you have military CVs, but they're a bit different. Um, people really do struggle. And um, it is a bit of a big culture step, leaving the military, especially in the regs and then coming out into civilian world. Things like rank don't really exist uh, out here and and saying you're a sergeant or a sergeant major or a captain won't mean anything to anyone in the room. And I, and I think that's part of the problem. But for me, it's not even just translating the words and even stuff like, like sort of mission effect, mission command, they won't understand that either. So it's about trying to translate those key concepts which you are, uh, uh, you know, the bread and butter of the military into language the, the the people understand. The other thing is actually not just that, but then also translating the experience. So Stuart to your point, there are a load of cyber teams in the military. The The cyber construct, though, that the military has is very different to most BAU security teams. So I think part of the challenge, as well, in trying to translate uh, and, and try and build that value proposition is really understanding the business that you're talking to understand really what what their security team sort of looks like how it functions what what business operations does it run who are the customers what's the industry it works into and then trying to tailor your military experience and trying to almost bridge that gap yourself the other point probably is um I'm a cyber reservist in my in my spare time and and actually some of the people I serve with weren't Intelligence core signals at all. Some of them, I think, one of them is para, and and you know what they've done is they've been able to use the time that's available, um, why still serving, the experiences that they've had, why afforded, why serving, but actually also the resettlement time as well. You know, like some people can have a year, two years to do resettlement, and you can really tell the difference between the people that have just done nothing and are then left with a military CV trying to land a job in cyber and the ones that have really put themselves out there to try and retrain. I did a degree during my um, my resettlement. And that single thing has done more for me in terms of my career since than any other thing. So I think there's a piece around making sure you use the time available in the best way possible. You get things like ELCs and SLCs that you can use towards courses. And I think actually things like CPT, so CTP, careers transition partnership has got better in its service offering uh, and offering more recognized qualifications and courses. Um, but the thing is for me, what I wouldn't do is approach it as just getting the cert. You know, for me, it's about knowledge, you know, don't just do it to get, don't do a, a week long course in, intensive course just to get a tick in the box. This is the time to learn your trade and to understand the knowledge because that's what you're going to rely upon in future engagements and
2: in your career uh, moving forward. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Clement. Martin see yeah, I mean all I would all I would say to build on that really is is it's that translation of the experience right and and again I I would pull away from being specific about cat badge or even even which service right whether you're in the Army the Air Force or, or the Navy you know, it, it, it it's talking about if you're a if you're a, a junior NCO through to senior NCO what does that mean well it means you're a junior leader it means you've you've had responsibility you've had accountability you've been responsible for the welfare of those around you etc cetera, etc cetera. you know those sorts of things need to be made explicit um, when you talk to civilians who who might not understand what those basic terms mean, and and I think that sometimes it's getting those basics right that that will open the door, and it also gives um, gives non um, non military speakers, shall we say, uh, you know, an ability to really understand where you can add value and where where your personal value proposition um, sits. And I, I, I just on Cam's point, I would, I, I you, know, I always sort of roll my eyes a bit when you speak to to guys coming out and they want to spend their, their 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 um um their credits on on courses. Oh, I'm going to go and get prints too. I'm going to do like okay, but does that say so what right? You know, think about what what do you actually want to do and be able to tell a story about what you've given consideration to in order to get to where you want to get to. Yep.
1: Sure. Yeah, just a, a slight, slight tangent point, but what Martin's talking about there is is, is spending on training and uh, stuff like that. And I often say to people, you shouldn't spend any money on training. You should spend money on education, right? So I, I, this is something I'm really passionate about. So I spent part of my resettlement on uh, St. Andrew's Master's Degree in Terrorism Studies, right? And I also spent part of it on a Prince 2 course. Um, the Prince 2 course expired within two years of me leaving. Admittedly, I did get a job offer off the back end of it. However, they will bury me with my Saint Andrews Master's degree, they will never take it off me. So I think that's that's a really important thing as well. It's this difference between training and education, and they're they're, they're fundamentally kind of quite different. Yeah. Um, even though I do actually work for a training provider um, and we sell training and stuff like that don't spend your money your elc money on that spend it on a degree spend it on something that, that is going to transcend the next decade of, of your kind of activity in those areas as well also free training uh, including the, you know the the company that, that I publish through provide loads and loads and loads of high quality free training that you can just get and just do while you're sitting in your barrack room waiting waiting for that
3: that demo. Uh, and that's that's just yeah what I wanted to make coming I just went to Coming on Mike's point actually around um, junior leaders and and I think for me this is this is a good point around there are things in the military you take for granted that aren't as common in civilian life and I think two things for me one is um, leadership so there are a lot that there's very good management in civilian organisations <laughs> but the concept of leadership in the way that the military sort of envisions it's a bit different, uh, isn't as common. Um, so I think actually that is a m- massive win. You know, the ability to be able to inspire people and take people on the journey with you is just not as common in, especially in technical trades in, in, in civilian companies. The, um, other thing was around the values and standards. Now, when I served, I, I just remember sitting through C drills, lessons, C drill lessons all the time. And at the time I didn't really understand it because, um, I suppose I was around people that shared similar, stats, similar values and standards. And upon leaving, you identify that actually not everyone does share those values and standards. But but it does mean that things like integrity um, that you take for granted in the military aren't actually as common in, in civilian world. So so those things that actually you might take for granted being a service leaver actually can be really big strings for your bow as well.
0: Okay. Right, any other points on that one? Okay. I think it probably ties into the question I had for the thing. Obviously, speaking to a number of service leavers myself, and um, obviously I'm help, helping them find their positions, and they um, quite often come up to us a lot of the show saying, again, they've been advised to go and take a print to, uh, or, and that, that tends to be a very common thing that happens on, on every, every single person we spoke to, regardless of what technical sector they're in or looking to go into. Um, it tends to be something that's been advised to, to a number of people out there. But I suppose, what, what would you advise I suppose, for the, for the, what sort of um, courses would you advise that, that would give them a better chance uh, of, of hitting the ground running when, when they do land into a commercial world? Sure, what we'll
1: comes to you? Sure. I think the big part is who's advising you to do that? Uh, and if it's a training provider, why do you think they're doing that? Right. There's, there's, there's quite a few training providers that focus on veterans and getting that. Um, you know, enhanced learning credit money off them uh, and have no qualms about doing it, which is what Cameron's kind of point is about integrity. Right. So mm-hmm. kick the tires of that really, really kind of kind of hard. I think if you're looking at courses, it's like, you know, where are you where are you going to go and what do you want to do with that course? So I did Prince 2. Yeah, it, it did what it said on the tin, uh, introduced me to ideas of risk and all that kind of stuff. And I did get offered a job off the back end of it, and so there we go. I didn't take up the role. It didn't kind of matter because it did open that door there. For my expectation was kind of fulfilled over that. I think what you've got to do is 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 kind of think about you know what what's what's the kind of bang for your buck there. So there is there is some training. So take for example, well I, I'm not going to say, but there is some training that will soak up your entire budget and leave you with just kind of one certificate. And I think that's a little kind of premature when, you know, you can do free certificates in basically every area of cybersecurity. So you can do free pen tests, free CTI, free risk management, all that kind of stuff. And you might do it and think, oh, that's a really of rubbish. No never want to do that. Well, well well done. You're already a step ahead because yeah, you, you know that, that actually, God, I hate pen testing with a passion, you know, that, that, or, or you love CTI or something like that. So I think that might be the kind of the way to go. And also, you know, spending those ELCs—it's not a race, right? You know, it's 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 not that they're they're good for a while, and then after a while, you can kind of see inside of the um, you know, the landscape where you do want to see it. But again, personally myself, I spent mine on a degree, and that degree I will die with that degree. Like it's simple as that. It will never expire, and that's the difference between education and training. And that's something veterans already know about, right? So if you took a sergeant from the Battle of Waterloo. Like, none of none of his skills will be current. That's training. But I tell you what, he'd he get he get being in the Guards Regiment straight away. He'd be like, yeah, I recognise all this, no problem at all, because he's had that military education, right? And that's the separation between those two things there. And uh, one of them has a budget class and the other doesn't.
0: Thanks, Come on.
3: So, so, as, so as I said, I mean, for me, doing that degree, uh, I don't know if I can do shout-outs, but through Staffordshire University, they offer really good um, uh, degrees and, and programs for service leavers. that was the most vital thing that I did and that's that stood me in such good stead since um, I've done loads of courses uh, if anyone cares they can they can check out them all on uh, on LinkedIn most of them have not been valuable for me personally in terms of learning you know most of them have just been and I think and I think when it comes to uh, if the test is a tick box multi-choice questionnaire I think that is the equivalent you can only test up to a I think key stage two, key stage three, with a multi-choice uh, questionnaire in in uh, academia. Um, I think there are real problems with those. And I think also some of the material that gets taught as cutting edge is based on thinking it's 20 years old. So I I, I think some of these courses that you hear a lot of service leavers wanting to gravitate towards, um, I, I, I do worry about. Um, I think for me you shouldn't just be picking random courses, even if they're offered by things like CPT, sorry, CTP. Um, You know, you should really be doing the understand piece, understanding what is meant by cyber, understanding what the roles are about, sort of getting an understanding of what kind of roles you'd be looking, you'd be interested in, and really getting close to the industry before you start just arbitrarily doing courses. Um, You know, and then I think once you understand the different roles out there, I don't mean like just guess or you had one conversation once with somebody. I mean fully understand the different career paths available to you. It's then important to then align your courses, training, education to those roles. You know, And you can, sure, I mean, feel free to you know, spread your bets. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, maybe do a generalist course alongside a specialist course in the area that you're interested in. Maybe even do a business course, actually, because um, things like business writing, being able to publicly speak, these are all skills that are going to stand you in good stead uh, and might might be useful. Um, And then, yeah, that's really it. I think for me, just make sure you understand the roles before you start um, arbitrarily doing courses. I mean, some of the roles that we have in the industry, pen testing and digital forensics, they're seen as the sexy end of cyber, the interesting one. But actually, the role itself might be really boring. You might not enjoy it. And I think the other aspect is is around making sure that you um, are, are, are realistic in your learning style. You know, lots of these kind of courses will be week-long, all intensive course where they're trying to spoon feed you 1,600 pages of text um, and for you to remember it from what your choice test. That might not necessarily be the best way that you learn. Maybe you're a hands-on learner. Maybe you want to go and do some labs and just play around with some uh, things like um, Raspberry Pis or, or, or do labs via that, that route. Um, perhaps you're someone that actually takes stuff in after they read it. So rather than doing a six grand course for CISP, you might actually Prefer to buy the book, study the book yourself over a six-month period, and then uh, do the exam. You know there are different ways, and I think it's just making sure you're not arbitrarily spending a lot of money on courses that you don't need.
0: Okay.
2: Martin, awesome. so I mean, I guess I could I look at this through a slightly different lens, right? So, so I never actually served and and went through the transition process right i i suppose i i I knew there was a risk that i'd get chopped from flying training because of dodgy eyesight so i i went through uni and 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 got a degree a degree early doors where what i have seen and where i where i have sort of made observations is at the back end of that process right and and i agree with everything that both Stuart and cam have said and i would i would really hold fire on jumping into you know any and all courses and 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 splashing those credits around i think i would i would Take pause, think about what is it that I want to do. So I want to go into cybersecurity. What does cybersecurity really mean? Do I wanna be at the techie end? Do I wanna be a security architect? Do I wanna get into pen testing? Do I, you know, does do I wanna stop the bad guys? Like, do I wanna understand what threats and risks there are? How do we do how do we go about that? So I would put my energy into understanding what it is. The you know, what it is that's available in terms of those different pathways. I would then rinse my network for all it is worth, whether it's through your regimental associations, whether it's through you know the the transition pathways that are laid out there, whether it's through just mates that you've served with, you know. But absolutely rinse your network to get you to get real clarity on what it is that's useful. Because you know I've I've got Caesar and CISM and other other acronyms. I, I'm not even sure what they stand for. And and I've you know. I did the exam 15, 20 years ago. Now, they might have been useful for me to get a job 20 years ago but now no one's looking at my cv asking if i'm a certified information security manager right um so you know i've built i've built up my my experience but i think you know i recognize there'll be that anxiety coming out of the service that you feel you need a badge right and i get that's also kind of quite a unique military kind of feeling of i haven't been qualified on this i haven't got it so i need to go and get the badge to make to prove to everyone that i have i think understand what you want to achieve use the network to under, to understand that. Use people that you trust to seek counsel, seek people in those roles. Most people are willing to have a conversation and then and then think about what's going to give you the most bang for your buck. And, and if it is a degree, then go and go and get a degree. Go and do your degree. Um, but that degree's are not for everyone either, right? So, you know, and and most importantly, you know, this is what I've said to, said to a number of younger people over the years, do something you're actually interested in. Like, don't try and force yourself into a path because you think that's something that you should do. You know, if if you're not interested in it, it's going to be really difficult to get up in the mornings. Okay, Martin. sure. Yeah, I
1: think I think that that kind of you know keeping that passion is 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 kind of important as well, and don't shoehorn yourself into something that, that, that you don't want to kind of do. I think that long game as well is important as well. Also, the point I was going to make is like shamelessly leverage technology, right? So YouTube, yeah, there's there's ridiculous amounts of you know some varying quality content there but if you want to see like a live computer hack you can just do that on YouTube, and there's plenty of examples of people kind of doing that. Um, there's also, like, high-quality stuff on there as well. I, I mean, there's there's even, like, Wikipedia pages on nation-state espionage groups. We live in a very different kind of age as well. And then there's white papers, and then there's blogs, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then there's ChatGPT as well. Um, uh, and w- with all of these things, they, they come with, like, a real varying quality. Some of it is just total nonsense, literally made up. Uh, but some of it is actually, like, world-class kind of stuff. But nonetheless, if if you if you go in, you know, if you go into an interview and you're like, yeah, I, re- I read this white paper. I thought it was quite good. Here's what I liked. Here's what I didn't like. It doesn't even need to be in the ballpark. You're having that conversation with somebody. And I remember, you know, I interviewed a chap. It, it was it was veteran. It's kind of going a bit south. But his thing was identity and access management. Literally, I've never, never been interested. Never heard of it. Didn't know really, very much about it, but he just kind of lit up and was talking about it. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And he got the job. Well, because it's like, if you're passionate about that, chances are you can transfer that into what I need you to do. And I think that's really important as well. So having that thing to talk about when you're going into uh, the meeting is really important. Mm -hmm.
2: But I, I think I think to echo that I think having an opinion right and I remember back from my you know from my Cranwell days you, know, you you're expected to have an opinion and I think I think again irrespective of of, of rank or wherever you've been in, this, in in the military you know you are expected to have an opinion on what you're about to do and achieve I think it's a uniquely British military uh, mindset as well because if you compare it to some other armed forces they're probably less inclined to to give you know give people that freedom of thought and freedom of movement so you know Know, when you go into an interview process, make sure you have an opinion, right? Because that's what you've always done today So why would you change that now? Have some thoughts. Think what you do differently. You know, ask questions back as well, because it's a it's a two way it's a two way street. Uh, and I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier. You're gonna have to kiss a few frogs to get to get to the princess or prince. Okay. Any further points on that one? Just two, of them, I suppose.
3: Um, we're obviously speaking very much as if you know. Cybersecurity, uh, so far, but but to the army's use of the word cyber, it means all the technology. And actually, um, why cyber security has been in this um, golden window for the last 15 years, um, it could be that there are other emerging technologies that will. Supersede it. Things like AI that was mentioned, things like machine learning or big data analytics. You know, these are other forms of emerging tech that actually might be of interest as well, um, and will probably become increasingly important and uh, more profitable and and bigger industries moving forward. So, also worth considering uh, considering those as well. Thank you, sir. Another point was, I think, to Martin's point around mentioning the network, in the power of the network. Actually, I think both both Stuart and Martin have both mentioned this now. I think also expand your network as well. You know, I think what's great about people that have served, uh, regardless if you served today or if you went to Crownwell but didn't commission, whatever. I think ultimately anyone that's got that connection with the military will not mind anyone else that has that connection reaching out and asking them for a beer, asking them for advice. So, so I, you know. LinkedIn's great, right? You can see the ex-military people based on their their, their, their LinkedIn things now. So, actually, what I'd say is if you are uh, looking looking at roles, and you're checking out the hiring manager, and you see their ex-military, I would just reach out. Why not? What's the worst that can happen? They might say no. I I'm not aware of that ever happening. And if anyone was to reach out to me or anyone that I know that's ex forces, they would they would give you the time of day. So yeah. uh, So be brave and 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 try and expand your network that way i mean obviously we've got the networking events there's lots of different uh associations out there and professional institutes that do networking events but 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 you know that x mil to x mil relationship is really powerful so 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 i'd, I'd uh, consider exploiting that as well
0: okay great well wow, fantastic okay stuart welcome to you certainly let's uh get my
1: kind of question on. i think it's somewhat similar to what we already had but what is the best approach to getting into cyber security
2: as a veteran um So we'll come to you, Martin. Okay. So I think probably just reiterated some of what we already said, but I would you know, break it down almost think about it if you like, um, you know, almost as a kill chain, right? So where where do you want to play in that kill chain? Do you wanna stop the bad stuff from happening? Do you want people, do you want to help organizations to understand what's important, what are your critical assets, and then how do you protect them? Or do you want to be, you know, in amongst the um the 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 the, the fire fight if we continue that that analogy, you know, when the when the hack's gone Wrong, so you're part of an incident response team, you know, or or do you want to be part of the um you know do you want to be part of the post incident um um uh, team that go in and and pick things apart a bit more slowly right so it's probably a good way to break it down there in terms of looking at that overall kill chain think about where you want to play and you don't have to decide on one you know as we've already talked about the advantage of being in the consulting environment you know I've been lucky if that's the right word to have sort of been in been involved at every step. Stage of, um, of of that process, so I have a fairly good view of of, of the the cyber kill chain. Um, you know, I have some views about where I'm probably better and and and, and where I would encourage people to, to go to. But you have to make those 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 opinions. Um, or will make those decisions um, yourself. But I think think about what it is you want to do, what what excites you. Think about it in the terms of what you understand about cybersecurity. Then get out there, do some reading, you know, read up on what's been going on. You know, there's there's some sort of cyber incident happening all of the time. You know, understand why that happened, how it happened. There's a lot of noise at the moment about who wants to be a CISO because it's a thankless task, right? Do you really want to be a CISO? Um, you know, I would argue that <laughs> you could argue both sides of the coin there, right, that it is a pretty thankless job because um, uh, you're blamed if it goes wrong and you don't get the money when it's all going right. So, um, you know, so there's a lot Lots of things to think about and consider but but Use the network. Ask people. Expand the network. To 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 Stuart and Cam's point, um, but but be clear on what you mean by cyber, because it is a broad church. And you know, I reiterate it from a point a, a real a real life example of a client I worked on. They lost a they lost the memory device that had um, a number of customer records on it. It was lost. Didn't know whether it was stolen or whether it had been taken out of the data room by engineers. But that was tagged as a cyber event. Now to me, that's that wouldn't necessarily classify as a cyber event. It was a piece of technology kit that was um, removed from a facility um in, in in an unknown way I'm not even going to say it. it was stolen they just lost it now that to me isn't isn't cyber um however you know in in some parts of the civil world that that is so just be you know be clear on what you think you mean by cyber and what role you want to play within that within that life cycle of a, of an event Thanks, Matt. My... come on.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, just to reiterate, I suppose, I mean, um, Martin's points, so I think for me, there's almost like three strands to to uh, landing a job in cyber as a veteran. I think for me, there's there's the understand piece, as, Mar- as Martin's talked about very uh, concisely. So, I won't talk about uh, that. Although, um, as mentioned earlier, there are differences between, you know, working in a, a a government BAU security team and a private consultancy and everywhere in between. Like the, the, There's just so much difference between the various different teams from an operational tempo perspective, funding, availability, salaries, uh, benefits. There's just so much difference. They really do the research. Um, education and certification. Uh, we've discussed as well, you know, making sure you are using that understand to then drive the most appropriate education courses things that you need to do in order to try and uh, seize the opportunities that come your way and to increase your chances of landing the job that you want and uh, unlocking the power of uh, the network and expanding and fully exploiting the network that's there for you. So it's really those three things. The only thing I would say is um, you will inevitably make assumptions when it comes to trying to land your first job in cyber. And it'd be really worth, I think, sitting down and really trying to map those assumptions out and challenging them, um, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty. There's a lot of uh, incorrect information that gets passed around, uh, and I've seen it do the rounds on LinkedIn and things. Uh, and generally, actually, security people do differ in opinion. Um, we're all individuals at the end of the day, and I think in most of the security discussions I've been involved in, you know, there's three people in the room, and you come out with twenty different answers. So, so there are just differences in opinion that you also need to take into account. So, I think trying to Expand your network out to include different um, opinions and different views is also really important in helping you challenge your assumptions. Um, And I mean, maybe actually clash with a point you made earlier, uh, Robert. And apologies for that, but I think positioning yourself correctly in your first jump from the army—or sorry, the army uh, military background—from the military to your first civilian job is the most important. And I've seen it done very well. And uh, people basically been able to get a promotion out of it. I've also seen it done very badly with people effectively taking a demotion because they have taken the opportunity that actually, uh, you know, through uh, being spun some your yarn or, 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 or uh, you know, provided incorrect information, they've they've taken that step back and actually now are less uh, employable in the roles that they actually should have been going going for, um, in, uh, in the first place. I, I was very fortunate with mine, actually, if I can, I suppose, finish my personal story. Like I, um, so I got out as a, as a, as a, as a, as a junior in the Inc. Corps, um, and was looking at a salary around what I was getting paid in the Inc. Corps. Um, and luckily I went to this interview, uh, at BAE and I got to chatting to the guy. And at the end, we just spoke about army stuff for, uh, an hour. And then at the end of it, he was like, all oh, right, well, I can see you actually you should be coming in as a senior consultant. And I was unable to get sort of like 10, 15 grand above my salary that I was on in the core in my first job. And I was over the moon with that. But that was by complete accident. You know, that was an absolute accident. And just that that we had that relationship in the room and he um, gave me that information that he was going to recommend me for the next grade above. And I could quite – my career would be completely different now if I'd have gone as a consultant, I think. So the only thing I would say is be really clear on what jobs you should be going for. Don't be wrong there will be people that need to take a step back in order to try and diversify their skill set in order to move forward. Um, But there'll be other people that actually should be, should be angling um, for, 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 for manager jobs, for senior consultant jobs, maybe even beyond that. So uh, don't undersell um, your experience. uh, However, unwittingly. That's true. Anything to add? Not, not a huge amount. I, I think just, you know, to
1: reiterate, it's just, just getting that kind of first job is, is really important. I think, you know, I've seen people who are sort of still looking six months after they're out, and it does become more difficult once you're kind of over that uh, thing. Your your kind of peak appeal is that you know you've got about a month to go, and you're, you're you're sort of looking at those those kind of jobs. There, I think that's probably worth touching on as well. Is is you know obviously you have um, quite quite a while before uh, you leave the military between putting in the notice and when you're leaving. It, it's pretty unusual to find a lot of employers who will make a job offer for somebody that's like three months out from taking up that offer a lot of the time it'll be a month if not less than than those elements as well so i think it's about holding you cool in those areas as well i think also as well if that first job is is kind of suboptimal it's not quite what you want to be doing um don't don't worry about it too much because that's not going to be forever so you know i I, I, funnily enough i think this was more of a problem pre-covid because people like i want to be living up in you know the isle of aaron working for x y and z and doing this and it was like yeah that that ge- geographic expectation was quite often quite difficult for phil but that that's not so much a challenge now with like blended working and those kinds of things as well but just get that kind of first job if it's in that ballpark kind of area just just think of it as as kind of that is that stepping stone onto the next bigger thing
2: yeah, yeah yeah uh, that's the only thing I was going to add really is is I wouldn't want anyone to think yes that you know the first role is important to secure get that first role to give you the confidence you know that you can you know you can make it in, in, in Tv Street but actually don't don't be worried or disheartened if it is a suboptimal or, or you might have been you know you might have been sold a slightly different version of of what you expected because it is just a stepping stone and you know you you you, you do have a bit more freedom of movement in, in uh, outside of outside the middle to to then get another role, so you know, but use it as an experience. Put it down to a this is a something that I, I know I don't want to do going forward, and and then you know, but, but it's it's all part of that education. It's all part of filling up that education bucket with with experiences.
3: Sure, I think you touched on a really interesting point there around the, the uh, time the timing of it all actually, and and yeah, it, it, that's actually probably one of the strangest nuances of of leaving the, the leaving the military for any civilian work. Um, And I'm thinking we should probably talk about that. I'm thinking – so for me, um, I think it just goes to show how important the understand piece is. Say if you've got – say if you've had a long career, you've got the two years, or if you've had a short career, you've got the year's notice. It's so important to use that time wisely in doing the understand piece to position your qualifications, your experience, your education to get to the point where a month out, you are highly competitive in applications and interviews and i think that's it for me it's it's i wouldn't d- don't just wait until the point where you can and apply for jobs and then start applying for jobs it's so important to the understand piece up front then tailor your resettlement to support highly competitive applications at that two months out one month out you know because that is the sweet spot and it is a highly unusual nuance of leaving the military that you just don't see elsewhere
1: I think also it's, it's on where you want to go as well. So, like a lot of destinations is public sector, right? Public sector, is a public sector, security services, five, six, GCHQ, uh, and a million other ones that you can kind of go for. I think you know you can't apply early enough to those organisations because they have their own security clearances and all that kind of stuff. So, if you want a job in twelve months' time, uh, you're already late for the application, you know, and they will <laughs> wait for you and stuff like that private sector is 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 a different kind of kettle of fish that that's that's a much much kind of quicker recruitment kind of drive so again it's you know where where do you want to be going and what what do you want to be doing i think is um
0: is that kind of important element there hmm. also, i think it's one of the things that we speak to people all the time who again looking maybe 12 months down the line to come out and again it's the certain companies that we work with who, who do it really well um you know and that they they understand the process of someone coming out and understand what goes into that whole transition into into the commercial world but again that again that's part of, probably part of the problem with maybe some of the consultancies that are out there a lot of it is based on bid work and or piece of work that's on right now that might not yeah. be around in 12 months time so that forward planning can but, be difficult but,
2: but equally you know dependent on where you are in your resettlement process the, the the way the firms have adapted over the years, you know, go go make sure you go for insight days and even maybe you know ask for a can I come and do a couple of days work experience, mm-hmm. right. and and that's that's what happened with the deselected aircrew right today we're all given a year's worth of notice I think they I think they made 180 odd aircrew redundant and and we brought something like 17 or 18 of them into Deloitte. Um, and they had a year's worth of work experience. Um, and, and it was value, you know, It was a great, great outcome for the firm, but also a great outcome for those individuals. Um, but, but you know, I, if you've got a year to run and you think, you know, what you want to do, we've well, got an idea of what firms you want to work for, uh, whether they be consultancies or, or otherwise, reach out, reach out to people and see if you can go in and just sit in the office for a day. Um, you know, and follow people around, see what it really looks like. And I think yeah, that helps
1: reinforce like that the attitude. attitude. Sorry, Stuart. I was just saying that's a great idea. Yeah, I I know. I know um, of a couple of people who've done kind of placements and stuff like that. Um, And yeah, like uh, again, you. Yeah, I think that's where you need to be a bit uh, kind of forward because you don't you don't see many of those knocking around. But equally, um, I think that's because just most employers don't don't really think there would be a value in that, rather than they would not offer that as a kind of service. I think more the majority would be more than happy to do that. And that's also a good thin end of the wedge way to get in as well. Um to to sort of do that. So yeah, no
3: great, great idea. It just goes to show attitude, which I think is is something that just the military people provide in spades. Uh and I think it is just unusual. You know, just, it just but just shows will in, it shows shows grit and determination and attitude. And I think from a hiring manager's perspective, that's what you're looking for. You know, you're looking for those that get up and go, that, that drive that you might not necessarily see elsewhere in the market.
0: okay agree. Okay. Any further points on that further? Okay. Great stuff. Okay. Well, we shall leave it there. This has been the Evolution Exchange Podcast. I'll take this opportunity to thank Stuart, Martin, and Cameron for providing their insights into the topic and thank you for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of the upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or an email at robert.wall@evolutionjobs.co.uk, and we will see you in